So hi there, this is Joy Foster. I am the founder of Tech Pixies, and I'm delighted to be joined by Sarah Townsend, author of Survival Skills for Freelancers. Sarah, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me on. Well, we are so delighted that we get to talk about survival skills for freelancers. I think right now in this pandemic, uh, surviving is one of the key traits that most people are having to do. And for freelancers, they've been hit particularly hard. So definitely um, interested in your insights. How are you finding uh, freelancing through the pandemic? I think I've been very lucky, actually. I've uh, I've been busier than ever, and I don't think that's just because I've just launched a best-selling book in the middle of the pandemic. That was just by pure chance. So, yeah, my, my client work's been busy. I've had to probably turn down more work than I've taken on, which is... it's. It's not ideal, is it? But um, it's a nice position to be in. And the the other positive about that is that I have quite a good network of other freelancers, and it means that I get to pass work on to them and keep them busy as well. So it's all good. <laughs> well, I I agree that it's so important to stay positive and focused on you know, and and you're better off having more more customers that you can't work with and having to let them go than having the problem of not having enough customers. Yes. So that's also very, very important. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think, you know, it's interesting because I have been doing a lot of um, subconscious re reprogramming work and, you know, uh, kind of extinguishing the automatic negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. And what's really, really interesting about, um, about, you know, the way people talk about facing challenges is they either, they either, see a challenge and then they see all the things that they can't do or they, you know, that they don't want, or they see a challenge and they see all the things that they do want and, and what they can do. And so I think it's really important to, you know, I love how, you know, I just asked you that question, you know, in the pandemic, freelancers are struggling and you're like, actually, my work is going really well. Actually, I'm busier than I should, you know, than I I'm saying it though, you know, it, because I know so many people out there are really struggling. So it's a really difficult one because I want to be positive and I want to spread that positivity and the, the importance of the positive thinking and um, avoiding negative self-talk and getting into that, that downward spiral. Um, but to, to be perfectly honest, I have terrible days. I have real bad days. And I I'm somebody who my energy is always up here, 100, 100 miles an hour, or I'm just up on bricks on the driveway. I'm completely still. Well, you talk about that in the book. You talk about good days and bad days. This is part yeah. of, you know, myth seven. So you've got eight yeah. myths. You, you, you bust eight myths in the book. So let's just go through the book, um, the myths, and then, you know, then people can decide whether or not they want to read it. But I think they're going to want to get their hands on it. Okay. So, uh, Myth number one is all about isolation. So you, you have the myth, which is, I like my own company. I don't need anyone else. So you bust that myth. That's that, the community section. That's a big one. Then myth number two is about outsourcing. So the person who's freelancing that thinks that they, you know, they have to do it all, sales, marketing, admin accounts. That's a myth, right? Mm-hmm. Then we've got myth three, which is all about professionalism, where people think, oh, I'm just a freelancer. It's not the same as running a business. So that's a big one you got to bust. Myth number four is I'm I'm still building my reputation. It's okay to work for free sometimes. We're going to talk a lot about this one today, <laughs> about value. Okay, myth number five is all about instinct. So I shouldn't turn work down, even if my instinct tells me to say no. Mm. So, yeah, that's a big I one. That's a hard way, big time. <laughs> yeah, me too, me too. I mean, before I ran a, 
business, I was a freelancer. So I know exactly what, I mean, I've done all of these. I've believed all these myths, right? Myth number seven is I love my job. Every day should be a good day. So that's what we were just talking about. So, and, and taking care of yourself on good days and bad days. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, myth number eight is once I have experience, failure won't bother me and dealing with imposter syndrome. <laughs> this is my biggest. This is the one I struggle with. Even 21 years down my freelance journey, just can't can't seem to get rid of it for good. <laughs> the imposter syndrome. Well, we can definitely talk yeah. about that because that's really important. A lot of women struggle yeah. with that. We yeah. know that from our um, you know, from our coaching, life coaching and the social media magic program that wow. we, we actually dedicate a whole week to imposter syndrome because it's one of those okay. things that people really struggle with. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, there's so many here. I think the, um, the one that I really want to focus on, well, I want to focus on a couple, but I want to focus on myth number two, which is all about outsourcing myth number four, which is all about value. And myth number five, I want to talk about instinct a little bit. And I think we can touch on imposter syndrome as well. So let's um, let's just talk about outsourcing because mm -hmm. I think what a lot of people think is I'm when they freelance, they've got to do it all, right? They've got to do the accounting, the bookkeeping, yeah. everything, the sales, the marketing. So what do you outsource in your business? I outsource my accounts um, to, to my ex-husband, but that's a whole other story. Um, I outsource my IT support. That was a real big one. I have in the past outsourced a lot of my admin, but at the moment I'm kind of between VAs and looking for the right person who can help me out because I feel like I've got, you know, that meme, my brain has too many tabs open. That's me just all the time I want to be doing all the things and I want to be doing them all at once and I can't I don't have the skills to do all the things so um I feel like there's a fourth what is the fourth oh well, I, need, I need somebody to do um proofreading of my own marketing and I also use somebody to do my graphic design so things like my proposal documents are beautiful and I've got a lovely template rather than just sending clients back or potential clients back a word doc um, or a Canva doc I've actually got a properly beautifully designed document that gives all the background information as well so that's amazing so so which of I mean, how hard was it for you to give, which one did you give up first and how hard was it for you to do that? It was so hard because I, I don't think I outsourced anything until about 15 years into my 21 years of running my own business. Wow. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Let's just talk about that. You waited 15 years in running your business for 21 years before yeah. you started outsourcing stuff? Before I outsourced anything. I used to do my own accounts and I'd have wow. all the pressure and the stress and think, oh, I've got to do my self-assessment back then. And um, and I just, I couldn't get over the mental hurdle of thinking, well, I have to pay someone to do these things. Yeah. Okay. Now this is really important. A lot of women feel that way. They go, how can I afford to pay someone else if I can't even like afford to pay myself? That's one of the first yeah. things they say. Yeah. I want to know what happened to your income though, when you did start outsourcing. Uh, I have to say my income went up and it went up quite a lot. And I think it's a huge mindset thing this because once you've, what it, I, I use the example in the book of, um, I was really struggling. I was kind of on the verge of, of burnout again. And um, I was constantly overwhelmed. I wasn't nice to be around. I 
I can't remember if this was after I got divorced or before. Maybe it was before. Maybe it was a contributing factor, but you didn't hear that from me. Um, but I I just used to feel like I had to do everything. And like most people who go self-employed, we go self-employed because we have a skill the secret source that we want to bring to the world and we want to share with more people. And that's the thing that we love doing. And we think that by becoming self-employed, we get to do more of that thing. But what nobody really prepares us for, you you aside, I have to say, because obviously you are teaching people this, but I certainly had no idea that there was going to be all this huge business end of self-employment that you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. I didn't ever consider myself to be a salesperson. I hated the idea of selling my services. Well, kind of to a certain degree still do, but it was a mindset shift. So I think the difference is once you have got into the mindset that actually paying someone else who is an expert at these things, they have the skills that you don't necessarily have. They do the things that you don't enjoy doing, that you dread doing, that take all the time in the headspace, probably a lot quicker than it would take you to do them and a lot better. And the brilliance of it is it frees you up all this time and all this headspace to do the stuff that you love doing, which is the reason you went self-employed in the first place. So, yes, you're paying someone, but they're doing a better job than you could do in less time. And you know, in an ideal world, certainly with me now, most of the people that I pay to do the work, I, I, I earn more than they do in my, yeah, you know. Well, you have a great formula in your book, which I've, um, I've highlighted. And okay. the formula is, it's a simple equation. As much time as possible doing the things that make you money, plus as little time as possible doing the things that don't equals the secret to freelance success. And I love that because, um, and we'll talk about how you price yourself in a minute because you do, you do have to make sure that your rate, whether it's hourly or if it's based on value, which of course we are very much advising women to stop doing an hourly rate and do more of a value rate. Um, but you have to make sure that your, your rate covers all of the other things that you need people to do for you because by that, by, uh, and people understand that. I mean, that was the most interesting thing to me once I started charging a margin, like adding a margin into my prices. So I started, um, when I was running made with joy, I started charging two times, um, or I think it was, yeah, two times the rate that I was paying my team and also um like three times the rate i was paying myself and then what we could do is take the margin and then we could afford the accountant and the bookkeeper and you know the um the other things that we needed in the business those were my my first hire was a um was an admin person who i didn't let i didn't like the word admin so i called her my coo you know my chief operating officer and then my second hire was a bookkeeper because that was the one thing that I really didn't like doing, but I knew I needed to outsource. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took so much time and I got immediately a bunch of time back, you know, and that's the the balance of time is so huge with with being a freelancer. And you talk about it. You talk about it. People go into it thinking it's going to be this glamorous thing that they can just fit around other things. And mm-hmm. actually, until you take it seriously and turn it into a business, you it, it you find yourself working more than you know was sick more than 65 percent of people work more than five days and you know yeah. long days and you know and you're not getting the breaks that you really need so mm-hmm. 
making it more professional and making it run more like a business and outsourcing the stuff you don't want to do definitely helps move that forwards in your favor. Um, so how do we how do we do that? If you don't if we don't do hourly rates, which you definitely are against as well in the book. I am very uh, sure. Yeah. Talk about how you price your services and how people should value themselves properly, because what you talk about is if you don't value yourself, your clients won't either. And yeah. you talk about how women work for free for way too long. So yeah. how do yeah. you get out of working for free? That, that's it's a really big and a really important mindset shift. I think very much like the, the, the change that comes when you decide that you can outsource those things. And it, it's like, just to very quickly circle back to something you just said, it, yes, the money side is so important to get right. But at the same time, it's it's just sort of a secret to getting more enjoyment from self-employment. So it's not just about how much money you can earn. It's about how much fulfillment and how much happiness you feel day to day in your job. Um, and if you're focusing on the things that you know you're good at, then you're just you're just going to enjoy your work more than struggling along with the things that cause you problems and, and you don't enjoy doing. Uh, so what was the question again? <laughs> it's how do you well first of all how do you switch from going from not charging and doing work for free to then charging but then how do you decide i'm not going to charge an hourly rate but i'm going to charge a value package and how do you put that together yeah i it was one thing that i really i knew really early on i didn't want to go in as at the cheap end of the of the scale and i had and I say this to a lot of people, it doesn't really matter how long you've been freelance. That is kind of irrelevant. It, what matters is your experience. So you might have been employed, you might have been working in an agency for five years or 10 years or whatever. That's what you've got to focus on. That's how much experience you have. You don't say, okay, well, I've only been freelance for three months. How can I possibly charge this much? What you have to look at is the fact that you're bringing all this experience and all this, all these skills to the table. So I get on my soapbox about day rates and hourly rates quite often. So you have to kind of hold me back. It rein me in if you need to. No, go for it. People need to hear this. I, I think it's a really important um, fact that we have to we have to educate our clients because they don't know a better way. So I, I get emails even now from people saying, "Oh, um, what's your day rate?" I'm kind of like, "Well, it, my day rate is irrelevant for starters. So I don't ever charge a day rate unless I'm getting a client on retainer, and then it is paid on that sort of basis." But Generally, Don't you think if someone comes out with what's your day rate, the first you just that's that's like a red herring. That's like a sign that they're the wrong client because they're asking for the price and not talking about what they need and what they want. Yes, it, 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 it's, it, it's a red flag and it's something that raises alarm bells. But at the same time, they just might not know any different. So if I go back to them and they say, look, I don't work on a day rate basis. What I want to do is get a good understanding of what you're trying to achieve. So it's not necessarily what you think you need, but what you actually need to help you get from where you are now to where you want to be. And to actually to, to get you there, I'm going to work out exactly what it's going to cost. So you can budget up front. It's no good me going back to you and saying my day rates, 300 pounds or 600 pounds or whatever it is, because you don't know how fast I am, how good I am and how long it's going to take to get that work done. So 
I use the example in the book of a client who contacts three used copywriters as an example, because that's what I know. So if a client comes to three copywriters and approaches them all in the same way and says, hello, I've got some work for you. What's your day rate? And the three the three copywriters go back and say, OK, 200, 400, 600 for the sake of argument. Chances are they won't go for the cheapest because they might assume that cheap means, well, they can't really be that good. They'll probably do the psychology thing, which is going for the one in the middle. You call that the Goldilocks effect in the book. Yeah, it's the Goldilocks effect. Yeah. So if you are charging a day rate, it's looking for a rate that's not too steep, not too cheap, but somewhere comfortably in the middle. But ultimately, that still doesn't help the client out that much because they don't know you might take four days to complete the project to a really high standard, whereas the cheaper freelancer might take 10 days and do half as good a job. So that's why I, I get quite ranty when I hear people talking about what their day rates are. And I also find it frustrating when people say, oh, I charged this, I, I quoted this rate. And then they came back and said, well, somebody's quoted cheaper. Um, so I, I reduced my rate. I genuinely don't think you should do that. I think have the courage of your convictions and know what you're worth and stick to it. Because the minute you go back and say, oh, OK, well, I'll knock £100 off, you're undervaluing yourself. You're going to take on the work and resent so you're thinking you kind of this resentment builds up and you're stewing and thinking, oh, you know, I wish I hadn't undercut. Whereas there are clients out there who will quite happily pay a higher rate or a rate that reflects what you're worth based on your skills and experience and the things you bring to the table. So I always use the clients that quibble as a sign that those are the not the clients that I want to work with. And well, that's, that's, that's actually your fifth myth is exactly. just when your instinct tells you this is the wrong thing to do, it, it's probably right. You need to follow that. So yes. just be, let me go back to this value thing for a minute because I really want to speak to those ladies who are charging for nothing, right? Who are working three months, six months, they're still not charging because they don't have the belief in their skills. So mm -hmm. what I want, what I want you to, what I want to encourage you to do if you're listening to this podcast and you're, you're, you, and I've just called you out because you're charging nothing for the work that you're doing. What I want you to do is track your hours. This was a trick that my husband taught me. Um, just start tracking your hours, try to start to see how long it takes to do the work that you're doing. And then just put, just put a rate on it, right? Just put, you know, 20 pounds, 30 pounds, 50 pounds, whatever you want. Just put a rate on it. This is just for that. Those people who are not charging at all, just to get them starting to think about this. And then what I want you to do is I want you to invoice the client for the full amount of the hours that you've done. Now, this is still going back to the hour versus time, but I want you to do this exercise because I think it will teach you something. You invoice them for the full amount. So let's say you're doing 20 pounds an hour and you've done 100 hours of work. That's a 2,000 pound bill. You're going to give the client the 2,000 pound bill and you're going to put a line on there that says discount 100% and then you're going to take 2,000 pounds off and it's going to be a zero. But you're going to give them a document that says I just gave you 2,000 pounds of free work, right? And then now you know, you're starting to know, because I think part of the problem people don't charge is they don't know how long things take. They don't know, you know, they don't know. And, and when I'm saying you, you're, you're monitoring everything, I'm saying all the emails that you spend emailing them, all the phone calls, all the WhatsApp messages, all the time you actually do on the work, all the time you are learning 
how to do the work, right? This is something as well. Like if someone needs to deliver a job well, sometimes you have to go learn something that you didn't know how to do. Mm. So you put you bundle all that in because that starts to give you an idea. Okay, it takes me 2,000 pounds to do this project. Now, here's the other thing too, and I think, Sarah, you can attest to this as well. You get faster as you get better at what you're doing. And so when what might have taken you 100 hours now suddenly takes you 50 hours, but that doesn't mean that you charge 50% of what you charged before because you're bringing yeah. all this knowledge. So you, you actually get to benefit. The faster and smarter you get, the more you benefit because you get to you get you get a bigger margin. You get you do less time and you earn the same amount or you earn more. So um, I do think it's really important to do that exercise of creating invoices is just because what you'll really work out, out is that let's say you're working for six months for free and you're doing 2000 pounds of work every month for free. And this is just like to get you going, but that's, that ends up being 12,000 pounds that you've just given away that could have been in your bank account. That's such a great tip. I've never heard that before, actually. I do say in the book to practice money conversations with your partner or a trusted friend, or even I've done it with my grown up kids. If you kind of feel that something's a little bit uncomfortable, or you're looking to put your rates up, and you're just not sure how to go about doing it, just keep practicing until it gets comfortable. Or another tip that I share in the book is write your rate down in a big black marker on a post-it note or a piece of paper and stick it on your laptop or on your desk behind your laptop and just get used to associating that that's my value you know until it becomes a comfortable thing for you it is something that feels out it just feels out uncomfortable to begin with and also I think we a lot of us are brought up with a real um, discomfort over money conversations. I certainly was. And the money chapter in the book is by far the most personal of all. And uh, yeah, it, it's just something that to begin with, I kind of thought, well, how can I how could I possibly charge that much? You know, how? It, it, and again, it's all tied into imposter syndrome and self-belief and negative self-talk. It's all one big bundle. But I think at the very least, if you can put a number on it and you can start to see what the value would be if you were charging, it really puts you in a good position to say, right, the next time I do this, I know what it's going to cost, right, mm -hmm. um, uh, to deliver that. Um, there's a great question that's come on the live. Obviously, if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see the question, so I'll, I'll read it here. Carol says, if the client is looking for a cheap deal, could you educate them that they're not valuing themselves enough mm -hmm. to value you? That's a tough one. I would I would imagine that is part of the problem but it whether you can educate your client and educate yourself at the same time I don't know would you want to I think that's the thing it's is it worth the time and effort <laughs> precisely I think it's easy for me to say because I am consistently busy but I genuinely think even if you're quite you're quite new to self employment really have that belief that if you do trust your instinct we're heading slightly into that that next category but if you do trust your instinct and you have a client who wants to quibble and says well you know oh that's a bit expensive well have the confidence to go back to them and say well look this is the price if you if, you, if your budget doesn't stretch to this I can deliver less for less money but if you want the full package this is what it costs and I think you're totally right Sarah it's that 
idea that do you want to spend the time educating someone or do you want to go find the people who value you? Yeah. And here's the opportunity, Carol, to say, do you know what? I don't think you fully value my services. It's not going to work out this time. I can't work with you. And then that's where the conversation where they go, no, no, no I really want to work with you. Well, then you need to pay the rate that I'm worth. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's when yeah. you can have that conversation. But but I think um, having I once had a client. I mean, I've told the story several times. Um, I once had a client who uh, and actually Elaine, I can totally relate to this. I'm going to put Elaine's comment up here for a second. But I once had a client where I worked. Um, I, I did about a, a thousand pounds or two thousand pounds worth of work on her account. She paid a thousand. And just like Elaine, Elaine's just said that she had a project that changed three times and it changed 180, 90 degrees, you know, all that stuff. It was signed for 20 hours per week for six months and the whole thing changed on her. Well, the crazy thing on this, this contract was at the end of the day, it was easier to give her the thousand pounds back, eat the 2000 that I had to pay my team to deliver part of her work oh gosh. and just get her out of the system. And I was mm -hmm. like, good riddance, you know, cause mm -hmm. she was the most difficult client I'd ever worked with. And it was like, I, you know, you, what, you, what, you, what I agreed to do and what you are now wanting is not the same thing. So scope creep is really important. Now, Sarah, this is where I would say, and, and we just, we talk about this very seriously on our, on our strategy module in, in tech Pixies, which we just uh, released last week, but we talk about a contract, like really important to have a contract that says, mm -hmm. this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm not doing. This is what's in my remit. This is what's not in my remit. If it yeah. changes, this is what happens. Do you agree with that? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, I do. It's, again, it's something that I didn't do for the first X number of years. But um, yes, it is really important. Otherwise, it's your word against theirs. And you don't want to get into that messy state of affairs where you're, you're spending so much of your time trying to argue with what you agreed to and what you didn't agree to. If it isn't in writing, it's very difficult to justify any of that stuff. So yes, ha have it all set out really clearly what is and what isn't included in your price. And as you say, Joy, what happens if the, if the brief changes, the price changes? Yeah. And if that's agreed in, in advance and signed and, you know, it's if everything's been talked through. And this is what I say, too. I say, don't don't talk about money first. Right. Really get to what they want. Like you said, where are they now? Where do they want to be? Figure yeah. what that is out first and figure out what that is first. And then you go to the drawing board and you say, OK, now that I know what you want, here are all of the pieces that we need to put in place to deliver it. These are the things I deliver. These are the things I'm going to need you to, to deliver. You know, like if you don't do the graphic design, or if you don't do the sales calls, if you don't, you know, and it's really understanding what they want and, and then really going to the drawing board and saying, okay, here's what I can deliver on what you want and understanding what piece you play in that as well. Because, you know, you might be able to build a social media following. You might be able to build an email list, but then if they have no facility to turn that into a sale, then it's, you know, you're, you've done your job, but they haven't done their job too. So you also have to be conscious of the business itself is whether or not they're even ready to work with you. Mm -hmm. That's really important, actually. Yeah, that's a good thing to mention. Um, but I love what you talked about with the professionalism, about having a professional uh, invoice and having a professional contract and all those things. So where did you go to get your uh, contracts and invoices and everything set up properly? Did you use a, an, an outs like did you outsource that or was that a, how did you work that out? Various different things, actually. I used to use, in my last employed role, I was an editor and an account manager for a magazine publishing company. And it was quite an unusual setup. We 
each editor had their own designer who worked on their magazines and created the original design for the magazines. But then when we got our features in from our journalists, we would edit them within Quark Express. So when I first went freelance 21 years ago, I was super proficient at Quark Express and I miss it to this day because it was probably the piece of software that I've understood better than anything else in my entire life. And um, I, I put together my own um, invoice documents, which used to be sent out in paper with a stamp in an envelope um and yeah so when I stopped doing that it never occurred to me that I could have got help doing that sort of thing but I switched over to cloud-based accounting through Zero, and Zero let you set up your own template for your own invoices so that's kind of branded and yeah as I say I work with a couple of graphic designers for different elements of my business and I have branded kind of everything really so yeah it's definitely worth speaking to an expert actually this is a this is a point that's worth mentioning just very quickly referring back to what you said about the not working free there is one exception to that rule and that's a skill swap so it's not strictly speaking it's not working free you're getting something and you're giving something in return so um yeah to begin with I did a lot of skill swapping with my graphic designers and they you know they needed copy for their own websites or their own brochures or whatever and in exchange you have to be very careful setting up the terms for that again. Yeah, so you do. <laughs> but it is something that can work really well across small business owners and, and freelancers. Well, I think all of this is extremely valuable. And you're right, skill swapping is, is doable depending on the skills that you're swapping and depending on the outcomes. One of the things you talk about in the book, and this goes back to valuing yourself uh, and earning what you're worth, um, is, the, is the idea that when you were trying to figure out your money mindset um, piece, you read a couple books. So you, you recommend a couple books that you read when you were doing that, which of course we have yeah. a a very long growing book recommendation list, which will be available at uh, techpixies.com forward slash joy book club, along with the recommendation to read Sarah's book. But one of the books that you read talked about um, someone who was hesitant to raise her prices. But yeah. what, the what the coach said was, if you double your rate and you lose half your customer customers, you've just kept the same amount in the bank, but you have like double the time. Of time. Yeah. And, and that's, um, that's a really interesting exercise. So I guess the first step is charging in the first place. Then the second step is doubling your rate and reducing the number of customers. I, I know I had a, um, uh, we, had, we used to build websites, so I worked with a lot of freelancers. And I had a freelance hair, uh, wedding hair specialist who used to, we built her website, gorgeous website. And she, um, it was always difficult talking to her because she would call me and she'd say, well, I can't. I can't pay, you know, I can't afford you. And I'd say, well, didn't you tell me you're booked till December? And it would be like January. I'm yes, I'm booked till December. And I said, well, your prices are too low. I said, if you just uh -huh. doubled your prices, you could afford me, <laughs> you know, because you're booked out. And I think that's the other thing too. If you are fully booked, your prices are too low. Yeah. And you have no scope to put your prices up. 
because you, 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 no, sorry, not you have, you have all the scope to put your prices up. You have no scope to earn anymore. If you're fully booked and you're still not earning enough, then yes, as you say, your prices are too low and you need to, you don't necessarily need to think about doubling them. That feels like a pretty scary experience or a, a pretty scary thing to have to achieve. But I do know coaches who advocate that. But even if you just wanted to put your price up by a hundred pound a day, I mean, I'm talking like inside your head day rates rather than quoted yeah. day rates. You have to know roughly what your day rate is so that you can work out your cost to begin with, right? But if you put your price up a bit and you lose a couple of clients on the back of it, there will still be clients who, if you're positioning yourself in the right way and you're selling the value of what you deliver as a service, then there will be people out there who will pay your rates. And, and those are the people who are the right fit with your business. So don't you think the scariest part of raising your rates is the first time you do it? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. 100%. After that, it becomes easy. Like it really genuinely does become easy. Just like firing your first client. Like the first time you fire your first client is really hard. But then afterwards, you like, oh, no, get rid of those people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Or just don't take them on in the first place. That's that's what I, I just think it, when you get tuned in to who are the ones who just don't feel the right fit for you. And I always say, give the example in the book as well, that if you just get that little split second feeling of fear when their name comes up on your phone and you're like, oh, you know, and it's almost imperceptible. You answer the call and then you're sort of like, oh, and you come off the phone thinking, oh, well, I'm not sure I want to do this. Then just have the put your big girl pants on and just and just tell them no from the outset, because the further you get down the line and the more embroiled you get with dealing with that client, the harder it is to walk away and say no. Well, but you like to call them. We like to call them brave pants at Tech Pixies. Ah, I like put it. Your brave, put your brave pants on and just, you know, and that's the thing. Have the courage. And this my favorite quote from one of my other favorite authors is um, Jennifer Allwood. And she says, you know, confidence comes from uh, having the courage to do things that you've never done before and then realizing you didn't die. You know, so if you say oh, no, no to someone or if you raise your prices and you don't die, <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> I love that. I haven't come across that before. But I think it's really important to be uh, to, to to push yourself to challenge yourself. Now, here's something that I have just been starting to learn through a lot of the mindset work and the transformational coaching programs that I'm a part of is understanding the idea that the universe is constantly expanding, like it's it's always expanding. And we know this, you know, it's not like this is like a, a theory. It's It's actually expanding. So here's the thing about uh, human nature is you it also expands you know once you learn one thing you want to learn something else once you yes. charge one thing you want to charge something else like we want to be better right we want to we want to be better we want to have more free time we want to have more money in the bank account we want to spend more quality time with the people we love and once you start to get those things you want more of them because it's yeah. it's part of the way the universe is designed you are you are designed to want more and there's and what happens is you get scared about wanting more or you have a weird relationship with wanting more, which is totally normal and is based on what you grew up with and not anything that you've chosen yourself. But then you have to, as an adult, you have to say enough's enough. You know, I'm not going to carry on with this uh, with this way of thinking if I want to change my life. And one thing we really care about, and I know you do too, is financial independence for women. 
you know, yeah. so here, here you are, you've, you've gone through a divorce and you, you know, you had to come back on your feet financially and that's not yeah. easy to do. No, I've been a single mom for 12 years and I, yeah, I get that for me. I, I that's probably my biggest achievement is the fact that I, I've been able to provide financial security for not just myself, but for my, for my kids. And um, my daughter's down in a, a uni now, my son's 18 to have achieved that for me is a really big deal that, that is, that's kind of my definition of success in a way, because when I was growing up, and again, I'm very, very open and heart on your sleeve about this in the book. Um, we did, we, we, I was brought up with a jumble sale mentality. We would go to jumble sales. And I remember buying things for 2p at jumble sales. I mean, that dates me, right? Because I've been doing this a long time. But um, yeah, all my clothes were hand-me-downs. Um, we never had holidays. My um, my toys were handmade, you know. That, and that's not a sub story because honest to God, that brought me up with the healthiest of respects for money. And to begin with, it used to just really mean that I, I felt I couldn't do anything. So I would never think, oh, let's go and have a holiday or whatever. I never really felt like I kind of got there in terms of that security but yeah touch wood touching my my um windowsill it, it it's I feel like I've kind of got there now because I feel as if I, I was able to take for example I was able to take the whole of January off to finish writing my first draft of my manuscript for the book and I wouldn't have been able to do that had I not got to the the stage of my career that I'm at now and that was what it felt like was driving me to write the book I thought well I feel like I've kind of I, I, I've got to this level where I just want to give back to people now I just want to help as many people learn from my mistakes and the fact that it's taken me the best part of 15 years to learn most of the stuff in the book because when I started there that this guidance this stuff in here did not exist there was barely any internet there was certainly no social media there was no tech pixies there were no communities there was no facebook groups no twitter hours all this stuff that we have now that we take for granted is just so so valuable and so key well and i think that's just it we live in an incredible day uh and age uh where we can you know very seamlessly switch from working in offices and face to face to online and on zoom all the time yeah. however that ability to do that um i think it will benefit women women in the long term as as long as we can sort out child care and other you know partners getting involved and helping around with the house i think it's really important that we we do embrace technology and i think what you're saying here which is so important is that you don't have an excuse in 2020 there are online courses to teach you how to do anything you want to do there are books that share their hearts that open up all their mistakes i mean that's what sarah's done in this book she's really opened up about all of the things she struggled with um, mentally as a freelancer and how she overcame them. What a gift that is to other freelancers. And I think the, that you would be a total, it would be a total mistake in 2020 or 2021, whenever you're listening to this, to be, decide to be a freelancer and then not educate yourself about money mindset, number one, 
you know, because yeah. you got to overcome that hurdle. But number two, learn from people who've been in your shoes. Do an online course. Read a book. There mm -hmm. are no excuses in 2020, 2021 for women because becoming financially independent, being a single mom, just like you've shown, Sarah, being a single mom, being able to take care of yourself financially and not working for someone else, but working for yourself is 100% doable. And you are a perfect, the perfect epitome of that. Mm -hmm. So I think people need to need to recognize that it, you know, we, we live in the most incredible age right now because that you, you, you can, you can learn anything you want and you can, uh, and that's going to come out of books and it's going to come out of online courses in a way that we just didn't have access to, I would say for sure, 10 years ago and even five years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's and certainly not 21 years ago. <laughs> I started my freelance journey in about 2004. Uh, no, sorry, 2014. And I lasted as a freelancer for about a year. <laughs> and then I was like, enough of this freelance stuff. I'm building a business. <laughs> and the irony is that freelancers are building a business, right? It's just... Yes. Are you building a scalable business as a freelancer? No, you're probably not. Now, some people start out as a freelancer and then they start to move towards scalable businesses mm. or businesses where they employ people to do work for them and things like that. Mm. But you have to choose. That's kind of your choice. Do you do you want to do that? Do you not want to do that? I didn't want to do that. At the end of the day, I thought freelancing is not for me. I want to build a business. That's what I want. Like a, a, and, and a freelancing is a business. Let's, let's, not, let's not, you know, sugarcoat that. Freelancing is a business. It's just... Are you building a business that you can scale mm -hmm. and, you know, serve thousands or tens of thousands, you know, that turns over millions? Or are you building a business that really suits your lifestyle, your, your family, your, you know, what you want mm -hmm. to do very niche and where you work with a few people that make sure that things, you know, run properly. That's, that's really the difference. Wouldn't you say? I would say, and there's no shame in wanting to for it to always be just you, um, because uh, as we've covered already, there are ways of growing and making your business stronger and um, more successful. And you can do that by outsourcing and knowing what to charge and um, surrounding yourself with those people, that kind of cheerleading team of other people who are there to support and help your business. Um, it doesn't mean you have to employ people, but equally, I've pulled in um freelance colleagues on bigger projects that I've worked on so I'll recommend a designer a photographer um a web developer and and this sort of thing so you can grow that way it doesn't mean you have to grow by taking on staff there's there are just different ways of looking at it yeah you can partner with your other freelancers and build something Absolutely. really cool I love doing that yeah well, I want to just um, acknowledge you for sharing your journey and busting all of these myths. And of course, I would highly recommend that you get the book, uh, Survival Skills for Freelancers. It is going to be the November Book Club, which is happening on November 6th, which is my birthday. So we're going to get this podcast up before then so people have time to get the book in time. Um, so... Uh, Sarah Townsend, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your generosity in sharing you. your uh, your your mistakes and busting the myths of freelancing. And uh, I know that a lot of people got a lot out of this. Um, so really, really appreciate your time and effort in coming on to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much.